0: Turn to Acts 5, and on these days where we have communion, we keep our, our high school and junior hires in with us, and we thought we, we always try to be sensitive to that, so we thought we would make it a little bit interesting for you all, um, and uh, in Acts 5, I got to tell you, the Bible is filled with drama. Did you know that? That the Bible is filled with Drama. And it just, I don't know how I got on this, but as I'm looking at it, I I knew that this was coming. We've come out of Acts 4. The church is together. The church is doing great things with each other. They're sacrificing incredibly, and we'll actually go back with our first point into chapter 4 today. But we're really in chapter 5, which is so scary. This is like the one section of Scripture nobody wants to preach it's so scary. It's Ananias and Sapphira. It's the boom, you're dead chapter. Oh, Lord, help us. So I'm ducking out on, on anything, and I'm going to hand you something. I'm going to cheat here. And it, it just reminded me. Today's ser- sermon is titled entitled, Live Together, Die Alone. And it reminded me of something from a... a, a, a favorite, now you're all going to start coming down on me, but it was a favorite and still is my all-time favorite. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, um, it's usually Warriors, sports, and that's it. um, Since Lost has been over with, my life changed when Lost was over with. We were so into this that we actually had a Lost party for the finale and people dressed up. I won't rat you out, but some of you are in this room. All right, and I have pictures, so um, if you judge me, I will judge you, uh, but I want to show this great scene, and some of you are like lost, I don't even know, it. good, don't waste your time, it'll take up six years of your life, <laughs> but all you need to know is that, that there's a bunch of mystery and a bunch of strangers are on an air flight together, and it, the thing that really sold it was the pilot, it was just this incredible um, Uh, visual of a plane crash, a plane splitting apart in midair. And this group survives and lands on this mysterious island. And now the next six years is all about the drama of their lives. And there's many, many spiritual overtones. I got so geeked into this. I got on the internet and I got on message boards and was working on theories and all this. And I have to tell you, my theory was the right one, but you can't claim that on the internet. So, but here we find the group of people, the survivors, just a, a, a few hours after the plane wreck and it's all starting to unravel. Much like the first church. What we're gonna see here in chapter five, the, those who made the Geneva Bible did us no favors here because there should not be a break. It's a continual thought coming right out of chapter four. As a matter of fact, if you're in the ESV, you'll see the word when we get into it here in a second, it just says, but. That's your first word to chapter 5. There's a continual thought coming out of 4, and so we'll talk about that. So listen to Jack Shepard. Ah, there's the theory, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Listen to Jack Shepherd's speech in the midst of chaos and, and to the leadership and what he tries to inspire them into. Let's watch this.
1: Here's your thief. where did he hide it? I don't know. This wanker had three balls on him. Why didn't you, pretty boy? Hey? sitting. was just sitting in the, sitting in the tent. And Jack just took off. Claire could have died. I tried to give her some sooner, but it just got out of here. No one would have understood. What is going on? Someone had to take responsibility Forty would have never left. Shut up. Come on. Leave him alone. Been six days. We're all still waiting. Waiting for someone to come. But what if they don't? We have to stop waiting. We need to start figuring things out. A woman died this morning just going for a swim. And he tried to save her, and now you're about to crucify him? We can't do this. Every man for himself is not gonna work. It's time to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're gonna survive here. Now, I found water. Fresh water up in the valley. Take a group in at first light. If you don't want to come, then find another way to contribute. Last week, most of us were strangers. But we're all here now. And God knows how long we're gonna be here. But if we can't live together, we're gonna die alone.
0: Oh, I got chills. Oh. Cue, the, cue the dramatic music. I have to share with you that this idea that, that Jack speaks to, you know, the tensions were running high and, and um, you know, somebody was stealing something. How appropriate for our passage today. And much like the first church, when you pull people together there's going to be the good and there's going to be the bad question is how will you survive I was at an event last night and a local business had been there for over well 50 years and they just closed down and we were talking about a little bit and they were talking about how well we survived you know we beat out this company or we beat out that company I said I always try to share with people, hey, Concord Bible Church beat out Elephant Bar. <laughs> we have survived longer than Elephant Bar. But there are churches that close all the time. And what we look at today is not by mistake that it was recorded, that Luke chose to record this. There is much for us to learn about this, this group of believers from the early 1st century or mid-1st century. And there's much that we'll hear today that will inform us as to how will we live together or die alone. Turn to Acts 5, and as we get into this, this morning, I want you to think about this quote. Partial unity is like an unripe banana. It looks good on the outside, but it's bitter on the inside. So we can put up appearances and yet be an impotent church. A church without God. And yet we can survive. For a while. For a while. This morning we look at, we unfold this picture of the early church and how they dealt with, how God dealt with those who saw their agenda more important than God. This is what we have to learn today in looking at this very, very difficult and challenging passage. Acts 5 says this, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. A great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out. And buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And when they carried her out and carried her beside her and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Cue the dramatic music. Wow. Right. This is that stuff that, that you grew up hearing about churches and old time preachers and, and God will strike you dead if you don't clean your room, junior hires. You know, here's what we need to understand is sometimes we partition God. We, we look at the Old Testament God under the law and then we say all things are permissible. All things are great. There's grace and there's mercy. And you're absolutely right. There is grace and mercy. Jesus Christ brought grace and mercy this is at the time of grace and mercy how do we uncork this because how many of us have lied to god about something but we're still here what is the takeaway here well let's try to unpack that let's start with this idea of unity thrives under and i'm going to take you back to chapter four and let's look at what was happening there. My, my, uh, my Bible has this statement, this parenthetical statement, starting at verse 32. It says, they had everything in common. That Greek word for common simply means sharing all. There was no personal possession. That they, they saw whatever was theirs, they were going to share with others. And I'll clarify that in just a moment. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, which Hanny had read out of 2 Corinthians today, And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, see how it just goes? There shouldn't be a break here. Unity thrives under bold direction. Have you ever been inspired because you watch what God does through people? This is what was happening in the early church. The people stopped looking at their own needs, their own personal agenda. They came together in unity. And because of that, it was attractive. There was something unique here. There was something special. But here's the the rub, right? That if I give this up, then I'm not going to have. What an ironic moment today that as you walked in, you have to be blind to miss it. Did you see our new bus? Let me say that again. Did you see our new bus? Let me say it a little differently. Did you see our free new bus? (laughs) Gentry and I went shopping last week at my old church, and we hijacked it. And they don't know. I'm just kidding. We didn't hijack nothing. (laughs) That bus is a gift as we have need The church has everything in common. Could they have continued to use it? Could they have sold it? That bus has 17,000 miles on it. Could they have continued to use it? Sure. But as I was down there in November, I was standing in the parking lot with Pastor Steve, and we're just kind of looking at all the things going on, and and I'm looking at the shuttle and the van, I said, hey, man, that stuff looks like it hasn't moved for a while. He goes, oh, don't even talk to me about that. And so God has created a situation here. Do you know that with our Lifetime Summer Day Camp, we have to say no to a third, a quarter or a third of the students for our field trip day because we can only afford to rent one bus? you know because of this 25-passenger bus, every kid will be able to go on the field trip? And that church, Faith Community Church, has partnered with us, and they're so excited to partner with what we're doing and they gave. They no longer have a bus. Now, they're excited about that, but they no longer have a bus. They had a contest when they bought that bus, and they let the kids name the bus. Now, if you, after service, I want you all to go out there. Brian's going to open it up. By the way, Brian, where's Brian? Right there. Brian sacrificed two days of his own personal agenda to drive all the way down there with a friend, uh, an individual that helps run the bus ministry out of Neighborhood Church. They went down, they got it operational, they've been working on all, all the details. Brian was here detailing the thing out on the inside yesterday, and the only reason we can continue to do this or do it here is because of someone like Brian who has a passion to do this and serve and contribute. Did you hear that word in the video? And to contribute doesn't matter if somebody's going to offer us something for free if we can't do it and do it well we're not taking on that burden but because of brian and some others that may join (coughs) join that bus ministry talk to brian i want you to go out after service and praise god for what's been given to us what is god doing in his church because this group of people were amazed and they were unified, why? Because of bold direction. Because of bold direction. Things were happening that had never happened before. You wanna see unity? You gotta have bold direction. You gotta have a purpose to rally around. And When we, the first Sunday when we had that sport court built, I walked out and there was nobody left. I'm like, where did everybody go? That's not who we are as a church. Where is everybody? And I just happened to walk around because I was going to lock some things up. And the entire church is out on the sport court, just kind of hanging out, just praising God. I expect to see the same thing in that bus. That's a party bus today. <laughs> All right. We'll take it through the Starbucks drive through later on. <laughs> Secondly, you've got to have honorable leadership. You have to have honorable leadership. Now, Uh, I forgot to say something that's very interesting in the timing is that down at Faith, when they got the bus, they had a contest to name the bus, and uh, my son is still bitter to this day. He put in, and he got second place, and uh, one of the other pastors' son won with the name Barnabas, (laughs) and so I forgot all about it, and what a timely situation today and so as you, as you board Barnabas, you see the little sticker. And the guy who did that, was a, he's an animator for Pixar. And you can see it looks like it's a, it's a picture of the thing. It looks like our bus was in the movie Cars. And uh, so it's called Barnabas. And what a great illustration. Right? You think about Barnabas' generosity that was led by the Lord. Look at what was given to this humble little church. Beautiful. Beautiful you've got to have honorable leadership. You have to have honorable leadership in what's happening. So Barnabas was one of those leaders and he honored with what he did. And he gave out of a free heart and out of a free will. And that's where the contrast is here with Ananias and Sapphira. And so Peter becomes part of that honorable leadership. Somehow, in some way, he understands and he knows that Ananias has not given them the straight skinny on this. And he says what? He says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has... Who? This is very interesting. Satan. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, obviously, when I get to point three today, we're talking about giving today. All right, so just get over it. Breathe easy. All right, if anybody needs an oxygen mask, let me know, okay? Uh, We'll help you out. But honorable leadership addresses the dirty parts of what's going on. Honorable leadership looks and says, before the Lord, this cannot exist. It cannot exist. And I want you to hear clearly that what Peter says here in just a moment is going to help you understand how we view giving here. Because Barnabas gives everything he had, right? Did this radical thing of giving uh, that which was a a long-term investment, maybe? And he sold it, the people would benefit. And so Ananias comes and tries to appear like whom? Like Barnabas. You know, the church is filled with people, and churches work real hard sometimes to look like other churches, we become so consumed with playing the game. Do you know every Sunday we do communion? I'm wearing a jacket and nice shoes, and every once in a while, last month I wore a tie. It is the biggest struggle in the world for me, according to legalism and how I was raised, to be wearing what Janine calls my schoolboy shoes. And this plaid shirt on Communion Sunday. But I actively chose to do this. Because God is not pleased with the outward appearance of man. And when we lie to the Holy Spirit, you get the most draconian chapter in all of the New Testament. Outside the book of Revelation. We live in an age of grace and mercy before God and we lose track of Ananias and Sapphira. And so Peter calls them out because he's honorable leadership. Ananias and Sapphira want to get all the accolades that Barnabas was getting. That's what's implied here. They want to look like that, but yet they're not really doing it. They're holding back for themselves. Folks, that's not unity, is it? It's not unity. And to pretend that you're unified with something, but you're not really involved. Or you're holding back. Because of appearances, it's destructive. It's destructive. You see, we live together, but we die alone. When we make it about unifying about God, we live and we live life to the full. When we make it about our agenda, it gets in the way and it brings death. In various forms, it brings death. Sacrifice of personal gain. Unity thrives under sacrifice of personal gain. We're heading into lifetime year seven. We're heading into lifetime year seven. When I was able to share with Faith Community Church last week about this program, they were inspired. They were so pleased. I had so many people come up to me afterwards and share. And we're going to take pictures of the kids on the bus. We're going to take pictures of you guys being so excited. And we're going to share in that, that endeavor. But the sacrifice of personal gain... There are many of you that have sacrificed. Oh, I just shared with you how, how Brian gave up two of his work days to go make this possible for us. And on and on it goes. Right now we have people sacrificing being in here for communion and being in here for the sermon. Not such a sacrifice, but anyway. Over here in uh, children's ministries, there was people that were in that back room today making that coffee and donuts, and they went early, and there were... There were On and on it goes here at Concord Bible Church. It is the process of sacrificing of our personal gain that unifies us to be so much more than we can be alone. Amen? Amen. Just remember, partial unity is like an unripe banana. Leadership worth following. It addresses sin choices. We see this from Peter. Now listen to what happens. I, I didn't finish this. I want you to understand this when it comes to the idea of of what is expected with giving. Because there may be this understanding that Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead because they didn't give everything like Barnabas gave. There may be some churches that would preach that. But that's not what the Bible preaches. And I want to be crystal clear with you what the Bible is preaching today. Peter says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart too? What was the egregious sin here? Lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Now listen to what he says. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Peter is saying his honorable leadership, you didn't have to sell your land. Not everybody did. We know for a fact that, that Mary had property and there's no mention of Mary... Selling her property. You didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You don't have to compete with Barnabas, Ananias. You see, what you needed to do is just go before the Lord and ask Him what He wanted you to do to be unified. But lying? And working your own agenda, your own selfish deceit, and your own selfish arrogance into the process because you wanted to be seen like Barnabas. You know, those individuals that are wise and discerning are the ones that notice the small sacrifices. I once had somebody say to me that they loved hearing about gifts that were like, in in, in a special offering, that were like $5.62. Right? And that was a check. Like a $5.62 or like a 12, $12 gift. Because it stood to reason it was probably a college starving college student that was giving that. And that person was very wise and discerning beyond their years to say, that's the person that really encourages me. Because when I see that, it's not this standard thing. Not that any... Not that anything's wrong with this part. It's this idea that, that that gift by its numeration just exemplifies, I thought through this, and this is what I can give. This is what I choose to give to honor Him. And I'm not going to promote it, and I'm not going to try to gain from it. And so when we look at this, leadership we're following addresses sin choices. And so Peter addresses it, and in addressing it, he says, Ananias... You didn't have to sell your property, not everybody did. You didn't have to what? You didn't have to give everything that you got from selling your property. Honorable leadership speaks God's truth, not their own agenda. Not their own agenda. Following the lead of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's precepts is what honorable leadership is all about. That's leadership worth following. Not their own arrogance, not their own desire, Peter shows no desire for self-gain here. Barnabas shows no desire for self-gain or self-promotion here. The issue, the challenge, the big challenge, is the sinful heart of Ananias and Sapphira to present themselves as something that they're not before God. And so Peter says, look, you need to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. You cannot lie to the Holy Spirit and be fine with that. You've got to follow the precepts of God. And brothers and sisters, we've got to pay attention to this kind of leadership today in the church. We experience so much grace and so much mercy that I think sometimes we want to hang on to our sin and give it an excuse. We want to manipulate our own lives for our own advantage regardless of what God is saying. And then sometimes we get ourselves, we know the ugliness of that, right? And so we try to present something different. Especially at church. This is a church that's safe to be who you need to be. If I can wear schoolboy shoes up here on stage, we can all struggle. I don't know what that means, but let's go to the next point. Leadership worth following protects unity as a good shepherd. Right? Think back to Jack standing on that beach. His name is Jack Shepherd, right? Protects unity as a good shepherd. He sees everything unraveling. And he comes in and he says, stop. Actually, that scene is very reminiscent of Moses coming down off the mountain. Jack had been out looking for what they needed to survive. And he comes back and they're fighting amongst each other. And he yells, stop! and it's not that he pre-planned the speech it came from his heart and he lays out a pragmatism of guys nobody may be coming we're with each other and we've got to stop waiting a good shepherd understands where a group is and where a group needs to go right that bold direction for unity and he says look i'm going into the interior to gather water if you want to come great i could use your help if you don't want to come fine but contribute nobody is free from contributing if we're going to be unified if some of us take time off or some of us take take action off or acts of devotion off then we're not unified we can't say we're unified So Jack calls them to unity. Peter's calling them to unity. God's calling the early church to unity. He's calling this church to unity. And we're seeing great things happen because of it. Again, so many things happening this week. So many things that are coming up over the next few weeks that provide unity. How many of you are new here within six months? Raise your hand. How many of you are new within six months? Look around. All right. Folks, these are the people we need to get to know. These are the people. We've got a membership class tonight. The last membership class, I've got six people in that membership class. They want to unify. You see, a good shepherd protects the unity and speaks to the things that want to destroy it. We are going to be moving forward as a church. You need to be here next week. We have our new Mission and Vision Statement. And September 1, 2017 is target date. The clock ends then. Next Sunday after church, we are having one of the shortest congregational meetings. Ergo, we're not feeding you so that it's a short meeting. Right? What you will hear there is the strategic plan of who we are going to be by September 1, 2017. And if you think a bus is impressive, I will tell you, I will tell you, there is something happening right now that goes beyond all understanding when it comes to staffing. And I was waiting till Friday. Friday was my doomsday clock. And I got a call from someone who has no business saying yes to Concord Bible Church. And they're coming at the end of April. They're coming to see Concord Bible Church. So y'all gonna dress up and shower. <laughs> <laughs> there is no reason for them to come to this church up and be here next Sunday after church because it's going to take all of us to make these things come about. There's big things, big things, but we need to be unified to go in that direction. Last point today, choices we make. When we look at Ananias and Sapphira, the choice that was bad, that led to death, is obvious, right? On its face, it was lying to God. Now what's interesting is remember that I don't know that Ananias and Sapphira would have said that they were lying to God. They they were trying to fool the people around them. But what was happening is that they were stealing from what they said was the Lord's. So in essence, what's happening is they are lying to God, are they not? They're lying to God. This is all I'm going to do to help you understand the importance of this. You see how God takes this seriously. Do not get so enamored with grace and mercy that we forget about Ananias and Sapphira. If I know that two people that were there that were coming into the church that may have been wolves coming into the church, that God decided to instantly send a message. Now, why does He not do it now? You're going to hear next week about more signs and wonders. This was a unique time. And so I believe that God did this specifically in the history and narrative of the church so the people understood who God is, who He still is, and how to, how to relate to God and how to honor God and what dishonoring God actually looks like. Because the result was, The people were filled with what? Great fear. Not the inappropriate fear. But the fear of, uh, yeah, he's still in charge. And I don't get to run around with my own personal agenda and live my own personal agenda and lie to him and not suffer a consequence. We may not get struck dead, but we bring upon ourselves disaster and destruction, do we not, when we lie to God? So there's your takeaway about Ananias and Sapphira. What do we do? The choices we make. How do we deal with this? Number one, let's reflect our preference of Jesus. In the choices we make daily with our lives and how we interact with others and how we interact with God, let us reflect our preference of Jesus. Today, not tomorrow, not Tuesday, but today Make one step of difference where you make a choice that you would have made for yourself, your own flesh, and prefer Jesus. All right? This is how we do this. We just start making some changes in our choices and in, in how we do things. And as you do that, you are going to be inspired and you are going to see God work mightily around you. Second, let's reflect our preference of leadership. We live in a time where we love to skewer leaders. All I'm going to say about that is look at how Jesus treated the leaders who had no power over Him. Okay? We live in a time where we want to talk about our rights and what we deserve. Let Jesus be your champion. Let Jesus be the one who defend you who is your advocate but let's reflect our preference of leadership there may be a time and and i pulled out the old membership files this week to talk to the membership council about it it's an interesting thing to go through the files of former members who have left and thank god the first few ones that, that i looked at there wasn't anything that was a negative, they just had to move, or actually they have moved to heaven. But I'm sure if I spent enough time in there, I could find some that left because of me, and because of my leadership, or my lack of leadership, or how you disagree with my leadership. And if you're sitting there saying, oh no, Pastor Jeremy, you are the best pastor ever. We think you're phenomenal. But you may have left another church because of their leadership. Isn't it amazing how we always struggle? The blue-collar line worker always thinks management doesn't have a clue. And management always thinks the labor worker doesn't have a brain in their head. That was a bit draconian, but you know what I mean. We are wired to question leadership. We are our own leader. Can I just encourage you, get into the Scripture and see that God has asked that he, we establish elders, and those elders are servant leaders. We are shepherds. Nobody here is here to lord authority over anybody. We are here to serve you like Jesus did. But there is a need for respect to authority, to God-given authority, and you start with Christ first. And that's where Ananias and Sapphira blew it. That's where they blew it. And may leadership, when we reflect our preference of leadership, may it be people that hold to what is good and hold to the idea of unity rather than their own agenda. And when you watch Lost and you see all those things unfurl, that's where all the conflict comes from. Is this group has this idea and this group had? Now we, bro- we broke into two groups. Sometimes there was four groups. Bernard and Rose, the best ones on the entire series, in my opinion, they had finally come to grips with everything and removed themselves from all the group because the group was toxic. And suddenly one of the groups I don't know, time travel and all this weird stuff they find these two, and they have made a life for themselves on this beautiful beach. The entire six years is all about getting off this island. And they're talking to him and they says, "There's a plane. Come join us on the plane. We can get off the island." And Bernard and Rose, with the most incredible peace, say, No. We've learned to love it here. What are we going back to? We're at peace. We're at peace. And that was so bizarre to this person. They didn't get it. You see, sometimes leadership can get so out of skew and so about personal agenda. Do we miss the very thing we're striving towards and it's right in front of our face. We need to reflect our preference of unity. You know, Jesus in the high priestly prayer prayed that God would raise up great pastors and teachers, right? You saw that in there. Jesus prayed to God that He would raise up incredible guitar players and worship leaders, right? You, you saw that in there. Jesus prayed that Uh, we would have the most dynamic children's ministry ever. You know, the theme in the, what should be termed the Lord's Prayer in John 17 is unity. He prayed for the unity of the disciples. And then if you look closely, he prays for you and I, the church, that we would be unified just how he is with the Father. This is how important this idea is. And when we let self-agenda take over and interfere to the point where we will lie to the Holy Spirit, disaster's coming. We saw it with the first church. Reflect our preference of self. We see it. We see it with Ananias and Sapphira. What about us? Let me encourage you, today, before you go to bed, give up something that was your preference and do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. Let me close with these few thoughts. Number one, remember Jack's words. Find another way to contribute. Maybe you're not designed for nursery work. How many of you are designed for working in the nursery? Raise your hand. How many of you are definitely not designed for working in the nursery? You have full freedom to raise your hand. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. Um, Many of you are serving in worship. Many of you are serving... Roger comes here on Saturday afternoons and cleans the whole deck every Saturday afternoon. Roger, nature messed up your deck. So sorry. It's just continually dropping those buds right now. But on and on and on it goes as far as serving. Find a way to contribute. Let me go back to what was part of the story, which was giving. Brothers and sisters, understand that Barnabas could give because he had. We often quote from 2 Corinthians 9 and just understand in May I think we're going to be having an inside out where we talk about money and finances and giving and the church. We're going to be bringing in an expert and come, don't, don't miss that. But let me just say this about what we're looking at. When you look at that 2 Corinthians 9 there was a church that was taking an offering to help a church that couldn't. What's that tell you? There are those that have some There are those who have more and there are those who have less. Most of us think we have less. Most of us think we have nothing. Can I just encourage you that there will be joy in the gift if you go before the Lord and you ask Him, what is it that you are leading me to give out of a sense of personal sacrifice so that your work can go through? What is it? We do not survive. We cannot move forward unless we're unified in this area of giving. Understand I will say exactly what Peter said. We do not expect anybody to, we do not require anybody to give here because we do not believe that that's biblical. But I will share with you that as you look at God's interaction with His people before the cross, there was a requirement on God's people of at least 10%. Now what I hold to is, I look at the New Testament, I look at this thing with Ananias and Sapphira, I look at the the early church, I look at what Barnabas did, and I see the word sacrifice, I see the word sacrifice. I see the words, as Paul talks about this process of giving as an act of worship, I see the word joy. I see the word sowing and reaping, and, and the benefits, and immeasurable greatness. I see those kinds of words surrounding this. This is not to be a burden. That's a word that's in this passage as well. Our giving and supporting through financial means is an act of worship. And so we should be praying about that. But we should not be, we should not be participating in unity without participating in unity. Does that make sense? And for some of us, that may mean $100. For some of us, that may mean a nickel. But the Lord is pleased with the heart of the individual that gives out of a generous heart. Find another way to contribute. Jack said this, last week most of us were strangers, but we're all here now. So you saw the hands of the people that have come to this church in the last six months. Folks, if you're fairly new here, come unify. Get connected. Get involved. But also, if you've been here for a while, you need to get out of your table. When we're doing lunches and things, we, I have the pictures from the Baptism Sunday. I have the pictures of how you all congregated. And you, you kind of all went to right where you're comfortable and right the people you've known for years. Let me encourage you. A healthy church is one that's going to get up and move. And that's fine. You can be around the people, but bring someone to sit with you. Right? Cindy's sitting up here all alone. And so next week, I would love to see someone sit next to her and, and say, I'm here to be unified with you, Cindy, and I'll sing with you because you're a great singer and, and this is fantastic. You get the point, right? Last point. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Folks, our takeaway today as we finish is this verse out of Luke 14.33. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are Jesus' words. What does that mean? Does that mean I've got to give up everything I have? It means I have to be willing to say, Lord, all of it is yours. I shared this with our baptism candidates. Lisa, Mitzi, Ariana, you're going to remember this that during the Crusades, before the knights went off to a holy war, they would get baptized. And they viewed that as a covering for their soul. But when they got baptized, they withheld one part out of the water. That was their arm that would hold their sword. Because this would be doing unholy things. understand the metaphor? We cannot, that person's not unified in what they're trying to do for the Lord. They've withheld. They've withheld. Ananias and Sapphira withheld. This does not bode well for the direction and the prosperous church. The powerful church, the loving church. Brothers and sisters, the walk away today is this idea that Jesus says don't withhold from me, any part of you. This is what I want you to wrestle with this week. What part does Jesus not have? Let me close in prayer. Just preach the hardest passage in the entire Bible. Father, walk with us today. Encourage us. Lead us on. And let us make choices that reflect preferences of you, reflect preferences of of sacrifice. Let us be a people, let us be a church that focuses on unity and you first. Let us not be a church that the enemy gets in here and seeks to uh, coerce us to present ourselves as something that we are not, but simply that we are able to comfortably come and show ourselves as people who desperately need you and that we are here to support and carry one another's burdens through the love of Jesus Christ. Walk with us steadfastly. Let us honor you and exalt you. And so when it is all said and done, we can say I will have lived my life for you. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.